my goodness, can we just take inventory for a moment? Did y'all know that in this room right now are people who have literally been brought from death to life? Did you know there are people in this room right now who would say, I have found the living hope of the world? People who would say, I have been saved from my sin. People who would say, my eternal destiny is not what it was. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It is no small thing for us to stand here in this gym and sing praise to Jesus. That is not insignificant. He is worthy of that and much, much, much more. And so it is a joy for me every single Sunday to know that there are real people who live in my region who are willing to get up on a Sunday, come, gather, assemble, and say, Jesus, we want to lift our eyes to you. Jesus, you are the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, you are worthy of our worship. So here we are, and we're going to open the word of God now. And here's what I believe this morning. I believe God has a word to speak. I believe our job this morning is just to hear it. It's just to listen to it. And if we do, big if, I believe it's going to minister to us. It's going to bless our lives. It's going to change our reality significantly. So with that being said, um, today's bittersweet because we've spent some uh, 16 weeks, 16 sermons maybe talking through this precious, amazing book of Ephesians. Paul is closing this book now after spending great length saying, hey, here's who you are in Jesus. Here's how you live out that identity in Jesus, Christian. Here's a warning. Here's a huge warning to you. There is spiritual opposition at work to any of that in your life. There is an enemy that we fight who is not flesh and blood. There are demonic forces in our world who are not flesh and blood, who want to steal, kill, and destroy any good that God is doing through his church. We will win that fight. There is hope for us, church, in our chief shepherd, Jesus. When Jesus came to the earth, he came to destroy the work of this enemy. Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection... He, he points us ahead to a future for the people of God, a future where he returns, and there is judgment, and there is eternal damnation waiting for Satan and demons. So what I want to bring to our attention this morning is I want to remind us really quick of last week what, what we talked about. We talked about who we fight. We talked about what we fight. Um, I, I believe just by faith that if you were here last Sunday, uh, you heard some things that that were really relevant to your life. You, you, you heard that the work of the enemy is to sow uh, what we reviewed as like a sevenfold strategy. It's to sow discouragement. It's to sow uh, division, doubt, discontentment. It's to sow distraction. It's to sow deception, ultimately all for our destruction. And um, this week, having our awareness increased to the evil one and his schemes and his tactics... We want to answer the question, how we fight? How do we fight? Um, how do we survive the onslaught of spiritual attacks and devices from the evil one? How do we remedy his schemes, at, at, like on street level in our lives day to day? What are the tools that God has given us? Um, how do we fight? How do we move forward? And what's really funny is as I was thinking about this, um, I was even talking to some people uh, out in the, the lobby here this morning uh, a lot of us, we kind of live as though 
one of the instructions that Paul gives in this passage is to take up the fresh brewed, fresh ground coffee and drink of it in the morning and all of your spiritual issues will be gone. <laughs> um, you know, get a good workout, like 20 minutes on the treadmill, the Peloton, whatever. Uh, Paul, for some reason, doesn't seem to mention those things here because I think the battle looms, it's a, it's a lot larger. It's a lot bigger than that. Um, but, but here's the thing. God goes to great lengths to show us that we actually have a choice in front of us. We will not win this fight. We will not find uh, spiritual growth in our life. We're not going to experience more of, of God and his work and his blessing um, by osmosis. It's going to come because we have to choose. Uh, the language that's used, church, is that we would have to wrestle. It's that we would have to struggle. Um, Paul elsewhere says that we have to run a race that is set before us. We have to fight. If you just consider the language of the passage, which we're about to read, stand, 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 put on, take up, put on, take up. Do you think Paul's trying to get something across to us? Uh, so having established who we fight, what we fight, this morning I want to demonstrate to you from our passage how we fight. So we're going to just start by reading this together. We're going to take the whole thing in. You ready? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, oh God, remind us. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I'll stop right there. Let's pray. God, I want to say thank you for the students and the kids that are in this room. Thank you for the good gift that they are to us. Thank you that, God, you created them and knit them together uniquely. You fashioned them in the womb. God, your stamp is on them. They have value, worth, dignity. God, I pray that you would bring wisdom this morning. Pour it out on those of us who are fighting spiritual battles, um, maybe even that we don't know we're fighting right now. Pour out uh, just exposure of the enemy and what he's doing. Pour out grace on us through this armor of God. God, show us this morning where we actually need to stand, where we need to move, we need to wrestle, we need to fight. We need to throw a punch. We need to take up armor. We need to put on a helmet. We need to put on the breastplate. God, help us. Uh, we are trusting you, and we know that your word will not return void. Teach us, O oh Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Let's just walk through it together, shall we, church? Starting in verse 14, Paul says, fasten on the belt of truth. And what I want to do as we walk through each of these, and I'm going to try to go at a fast pace, is I want to just, I want to put out a warning at the beginning of each one. And so the first warning is this, Christian, uh, Satan is lying to you. He's lying to you right now. He's, he's distorting the truth. He's manipulating the truth. Um, his aim is to convince you right now in your life that actually God is the liar. Uh, his word is what is not telling the truth. And, and there are other sources of truth that are out there. Um, I want to tell us right now, I think Paul starts with this, the belt of truth, because it informs all the rest of them. If we are trying to build our life upon some kind of foundation, there has to be absolute truth. There has to be God-given, God-revealed truth. If that truth becomes manipulated in our lives, if we turn somewhere else for truth, then we ought to know any of these other forms of armor that God calls us to put on and take up, any of these weapons, um, they don't really serve a purpose because all of them appeal to what? Truth. So take on the belt of truth. I want you to know Paul says in Ephesians 4.21, the truth is in Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 16, 13, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 7, the people are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is why Jesus said in John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you see the language there? The truth won't just inform you. The truth will set you free. What that implies, church, is that there is slavery. There is captivity in our life. Um, Jesus comes and he says, hey, there are lies that, that fill the life of a human being in their experience and in their journey. Knowing Jesus Christ means that you can be set free from those lies. Knowing Jesus Christ means that you can walk in freedom. It means you no longer have to be a slave to things that are not even true. What a life to live, being a slave to things that aren't even true. What a full, beautiful life, being a slave to things that are true. My goodness. Um, okay, so we're going to keep going. Truth has been established and fixed in all eternity. Truth is unchanging yesterday, today, tomorrow. And, and the word abide that Jesus uses here, it means to dwell in. It means to make our home in, our comfort in. It means to make so familiar to us his truth. Ephesians 4, 14 explains why. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Church, we have an enemy who sows lies, demonic lies about God's character, demonic lies about our identity and position in Christ. They are constantly coming our way. And so Christian, please know that your enemy is a liar. Stand firm in truth. The next thing that Paul moves to in verse 14, uh, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Warning, Satan right now is accusing you. He is known as the accuser. Right now, your mind, if I had to guess, will not struggle to come up with evidence for ways that you sin and ways that you have failed and made mistakes and, and blown your life up in certain ways. Things that you've said, 
attitudes that you've expressed, decisions that you have made, some of your worst days, your worst moments, your most unshakable addictions, habits. For real, you, you can start to feel, feel the words of Isaiah 59 too, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. We all feel this. Like, let's be honest, in some way, we all feel this mental cycle that it always creates. How can God do anything with my life? How can God actually uh, want to have a relationship that's ongoing and interactive and loving toward me? Uh, we start to look in the mirror, and here's what happens everything becomes about us. Everything becomes about our failures and our mess and our weakness. And all of a sudden, church, God isn't able. All of a sudden, God isn't forgiving. All of a sudden, God cannot be strong. God cannot redeem because we are so fixed and obsessed on ourselves. All while, it remains true that Jesus fell under God's wrath where we belong. All while, it remains true that Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to atone for our sin once and for all time. And Jesus flexes on all evil and spiritual forces in our world. Hebrews 10, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I want you to just picture somewhat of a humorous scene. Satan trying to rise up and get off the ground and point and condemn and confuse. And Jesus stays seated with his foot on Satan's back. Church, the work is finished. The good news has been declared. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when Satan comes and he tries to point you to any debt that you have with God, the debt of your sin from the past, present, and future, I want you to know it's been paid. If you've been burdened with guilt and shame this morning, you are withholding forgiveness from yourself that God in Christ has already given. Stop withholding it. Receive it and watch how it changes your life. Right now, you may be here this morning and you are punishing yourself for sin that God has already chosen to forgive and forget. The breastplate of righteousness says, I know the good news that I am clean and I am whole because under the law of God, Jesus Christ was righteous for me when I could not be righteous for myself. And he took my sin to the cross and covered me with his holiness. You know what else the breastplate of righteousness does for us, church? It does this. It warns us that Satan is deceiving us. One of the things Satan would love to do is convince us that there are no ramifications for the ways that we live our lives alienated from God, the way we kind of just remove him from the equation, the things that we walk in that we don't seek his counsel. Somebody needs to hear this today. The gospel of Jesus Christ removes condemnation for sin, but it does not remove consequence for sin. And one of the things I love about the heart of God, have you ever thought about this? In the real world, God gives us commands, God gives us instruction, God gives us ways for upright, godly, righteous living by means of protection. God is a father who wants to protect his own. Do you know what he knows that oftentimes we don't know? Is that when we wander and wade outside of his good boundaries, his designs, 
his love, his instruction, we are setting ourselves up for some kind of trauma, pain, regret, betrayal, conflict. Satan's temptation is to deceive us into thinking that there is a better way. There is a more satisfying way. There are different roads that we can take. We can remove God from the equation here and there, and the return on investment will be better elsewhere. Does anyone else feel that sometimes? Okay, I'm the only one. Good, we got some great, honest people in the room. <laughs> 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says this, True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Take in the proverb, Proverbs 21. 21, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. The breastplate of righteousness says I am under protection of my Father in heaven. Not only for the condemnation of a life apart from him, but for its consequences. God wants to protect us like a good father wants to protect a child. Christian, your enemy is an accuser and a deceiver. Stand firm in righteousness. In verse 15, Paul says, put on the readiness given by the gospel of feet, or the gospel of peace. So um, on, our, on our feet, we fasten these shoes that are, that, that are ready. They're ready to bring the gospel of peace, and they're made ready by the gospel of peace. Warning, <laughs> shots fired. Uh, the enemy wants you to have no peace in your life. He wants to steal peace, and he's stealing it from you right now. Some of us right now, if we're honest, when it comes to how we're really doing, um, we're a little restless, a little anxious, a little burdened, a little frustrated, a little bitter. There's always a chip on our shoulder. When was the last time you lived a day of your life without feeling like there's some kind of chip on your shoulder, something weighing on you, something that you can't get off your mind? And because of that, we don't have a readiness in our feet to be used by God at any given moment because there's something in the way, and that something is a lack of peace. Maybe we don't have a readiness to share about the God of peace because we don't feel like we're experiencing him. Maybe right now in our life, we don't have an eagerness to share about the Prince of Peace because we don't feel like we really know the Prince of Peace. Maybe right now in our life, there is peace that you lack. Can I just tell you, friend, it's yours. God says he wants to give you his peace. It's not a peace that the world gives. It's a peace that God gives right now in your life. I feel like I preach this all the time. Redundancy, like this is good. Um, how, how at peace do you think God is right now? God. How at peace do you think he is right now? He wants you to have that kind of peace in your life. What an amazing gift. He wants his spirit to guard and protect your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And here's the promise. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Christian, your enemy is a thief of peace. Stand firm in peace. You know what I think about often is um, the way that the ESV translates this is beautiful. Um, you know, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And I think that's really more accurate to what Paul is trying to say. Um, do we think right now that, that the enemy wants us to be looking at people um, right here in this room, looking at family members, looking at friends, people in our workplace, um, teachers if you're students, like whatever it, whatever it might be. Do, do you think the enemy wants us regarding those people as anything 
more than flesh and blood. Paul says we regard no one anymore as Christians according to the flesh. Um, The enemy, Satan, would love for you to not look at people in your life as eternal souls. The enemy would, would love for you to not look at people in your life as made in the image of God just like you are and worthy of honor and dignity and respect and care. The enemy would love for the church out here in Bennington uh, to not be mindful of actual vulnerable people in our city. And God calls us to work out justice among them. Um, There are people who Jesus literally says, hey, you clothed me. You gave me something to eat. Um, You gave me a place to stay. Like, church, if we do not regard people the way God regards them, we are regarding them the way the enemy regards them. And that is going to ruin a readiness in us that a peace with God gives. If you step out and you decide you want to be an evangelist, you step out and you decide you want to share your faith, um, there's going to be someone that wants to oppose that. There's going to be somebody in your life who's working things against that. Can I just read to you some scriptures really quick? Church, there's something right now happening in evangelical culture in our nation that is driving uh, me and hopefully you two insane. Like, why do we get the, the sense that we are not called to proselytize, that we're not called to convert, that we're not called to share our faith with people? Um, he, here's what Jesus says. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I have commanded. Elsewhere, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Psalms 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Uh, Mark 16.15, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The enemy would hate for us to believe those verses and say, you know what? I actually think God loves and wants to pour out his grace on that person's heart and life. I actually think that God wants to move in power to break addictions in that person's life. I actually believe that God wants to restore that person's identity because they are broken, they are hurt, they are wounded, they have pain. God wants to be their healer. I actually believe that, that God wants that in their life. The enemy doesn't want us thinking that. What would it look like for us to have feet that are ready with the gospel of peace? We continue, Satan is an enemy of faith. If you look at uh, verse 16, Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Satan wants you faithless. Listen, the flaming darts aren't going to stop. This is the life that that we live. And I I just want to say this, church, one of Satan's biggest temptations is that, we talked about it last week, of doubt. It's doubting God's character. It's doubting God's promises. It's doubting God's power, his provision. Faith says that a local church like ours can actually equip ordinary men and women to live a life that pursues Jesus Christ. Faith actually says that God can take a marriage that's in this room right now and bring healing to it. Faith actually says that everything that's happened in my past is not going to be the determiner of my future. Faith actually says I am not who anybody else or the world says I am. I am who God says that I am. Faith actually tells us something totally different than the enemy wants to whisper to us. Faith says I know God. I know God. I know who he is. I know Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I know Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. I know in my life the Lord my shepherd. I know that Jesus will lead me to lie down in green pastures, lie beside still waters. I know God. 
I have faith and confidence in that. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. See the language of shield. Take up the shield of faith. Take refuge. And and church, let's not forget that our faith is built up by one another. We cannot do this alone. We need one another to speak encouragement. Have you ever met somebody? Like, you know somebody in the room right now. They're just always filled with faith. They're always so happy. They always have such joy in Jesus. There is nothing that can bring them down. There's nothing in their life. Where's Carrie Tulsi at? There's nothing that's going to steal that woman's joy in Jesus. I'm telling you right now, church, that has so much impact on the people around you. When you take up the shield of faith and you are a person of faith, and you believe in God's promises, you believe in his goodness, people around you are going to receive from that. They're going to be built up in that. Church, when we take up the shield of faith, it's not just for us, it's for all of us. When every one of us takes up the shield of faith, it protects and guards our church. It builds the faith of our church. It creates more belief in our church. Sometimes we just need to say, God, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Satan wants us hopeless. Verse 17, Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Um, C.S. Lewis, a popular Christian author, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It was uh, his fictional take on letters that an uncle demon would write to his nephew demon concerning their goal to ruin a human man's life um, and take him away from their enemy, who was God himself. At one point, the uncle counsels the nephew. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. When I was preparing this sermon, this is the section that God burdened me with the most. Because there are people who are sitting here this morning Um, And there's one question that the enemy wants you to be asking. Um, Is my salvation real? And do I have real hope? Is my salvation in Jesus real? And and do I have real hope? Um, Demonic influence and attack will always bring us confusion in that answer. It will always drive us away from assurance. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive, submitted in obedience to Christ. Can I ask you some questions this morning? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? I'm talking to the Christians in the room. Do you believe in his sacrificial death to atone for your sin? Do you believe in his bodily resurrection? Do you believe that he's alive? He rules and reigns. He is the one true God. Do you confess him as Lord and Savior? Do you want to follow him? Do you feel conviction of sin? My friend, I want you to know this morning, you are not God's enemy. Your justification before his throne is not on the line. Your reconciliation is not in question. Your new nature is not fake. The father will not forsake his child. God is not done with you yet. Your salvation is real. You will see heaven. You are forgiven in Jesus. One of the worst lies that we believe is that God cannot change 
people. One of the worst lies we believe is that God cannot change my life. He cannot actually transform my heart. There's too much evidence in my life that points the other way. I'm too stuck in something. I've wrestled and battled with something for too long. God can't do it. What a lie from hell. Church, one of the biggest things that we have to take up is that people can change. God can change. You and I and our church and the story that God is writing in our individual lives and the lives of City Light Bennington can look totally different a year from now than it does right now. God forbid we're sitting right here in the same place with the same people represented and nothing has changed or happened in our lives, but we're still sitting in the metal chairs We're still listening to the sermons. We're still singing the songs. God wants to transform our hearts. He wants to give us a new spirit. He wants to change everything about us. And here's the best news. He can. He can. Right now, in your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, at your job, in your own heart, with your own identity, are you believing the lie that he can't? He can. God can does not want us hopeless. He wants us filled with hope, church. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, I got a couple more to go real quick, and I'll make them fast. In verse 17, Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Church, our Sunday gatherings, um, they will never be driven by people who preach in order to bring life to a lifeless text. Um, Our city groups and huddles will not be led by people who bring power to this book that does not already possess all power apart from them. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We don't bring anything to this word. This word brings everything to us. We don't offer anything to God's word. This is a supernatural word. This is a word through which God will govern and guide and convict and comfort his people. There is a place to go in your life and mine for answers. It's here. There is a a book that we turn to for truth. It's here. Um, This is where we go in controversy. This is where we go in celebration, in despair. This is where we go in sorrow. This is where we go in pain. This is where we go in trouble, in confusion, in anger. You angry? (laughs) Open the word of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is where we go in rejoicing and worship and praise. This is where we turn to for the true story of the world that we all find ourselves living in. This is where we go to learn everything about our heart and about our mind and about our soul and about God and about eternity. This is where we go and look and see that there is hope far beyond the grave. Amen. Um, This is why the local church should be a place that teaches the word. This is why a local church should be a place that proclaims the word. It should be a place that prays the word. It should be a place that sings the word. And it should be a place, according to James chapter 1, that lives the word. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, sees all the, the spots, the speckles, the, the things. He looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer, he acts. He is blessed in his doing. If there's one thing I know about me, and I would assume it's true about you too, um, we like to talk to each other about our thoughts and opinions about everything. We, we love to ask our friend for advice. What do you think about this situation? Um, you know, oftentimes, like, our first instinct is not just to be quiet and open up and let God speak. <laughs> um, I can tell you, firsthand experience, there have been men and women in my life who I have been so blessed by because I never hear their opinion on things. I, I go to them, and it's like the, the word of God just bleeds from them. They spend so much time just reading and sitting in and stewing in this word that the word that they bring, the counsel that they offer, the truth that they want to speak in that moment, um, has the mind of God written all over it. Do you not think that his counsel is the best that should come to bear on a situation that we're in? Uh, that, that his mind is the best that should come to bear on a situation we're, we're struggling in? Um, we, we need the word of God. It is the sword of the spirit. It is an offensive weapon that we use. Um, Satan finally wants us prayerless. Whoo! Prayerless Christians are powerless Christians. And a prayerless church is a powerless church. Uh, all sorts of scripture that says, God, you are my strength. God, you are my portion. You are my refuge. You are my fortress. God, you strengthen me. All sorts of scriptures that tell us, um, God, you are where I go to hide because you can cover me. Right here we see in the first verse chapter 10, or I mean verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, what right now in our lives are we allowing to have more power than God? What are we trusting in more than God? If God is going to continue to, to write a story through this church, it will be because we are a church that prays. Um, and I want to I say this. Um, if you take all of these in inventory, there is a practical aspect to each of them. City Light, I just I want to let you know the call here in this text is to stand firm in truth, to stand firm in righteousness, to stand firm in peace, in faith, in salvation, in the word, and in prayer. Um, if you pay attention here, these are all like the means by which, like any spiritual habit we have, anytime we open up our Bibles, anytime we're in fellowship with one another, anytime we bow our heads and pray, it is a means of war. And, and it is a victorious means of war. We have heaven's backing. We cannot lose this fight. Um, and so I, I want to just close by saying, um, City Light, this book of Ephesians is really, 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 really good news about what God has, has just blasted on your life. Uh, new birth, forgiveness, redemption, hope, healing, grace, mercy, uh, a new identity, a new purpose. Um, but Paul wants to close with this church, and I think he wants us to close as a church just by, by praying. He says all kinds of prayer. If you look at the passage, he says in verse 18, all times praying in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Um, it, 
let's pray right now, right? Like that's got to be the thing that we, we do as we're reading this. So I, I want you to join me in praying. Um, God, I'm asking that you would actually give us a true moment of prayer here as a church. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for the work that you continue to do among us. God, lift our eyes and enlighten our hearts. Give us the mind of Christ. Help us to know that for every time we feel like the enemy is attacking, for every time that we feel like our church is losing the battle, there are a hundred stories of your grace, a hundred stories of your power, a hundred stories of you conquering the evil one in our midst. God, I thank you for the weapons that you give us. They are your armor. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You wear this armor and we wear you. Thank you, God, that you've given us a mission as a church to preach and proclaim good news. Thank you, God, that you've called us into a greater vision for our lives. Thank you, God, that you love us and that we can have an ongoing interactive relationship with you. Lastly, I want to pray, God, that we would not minimize truth, that we would not take for granted all the blessing that we have in the spiritual heavenly realms from you, King Jesus. Don't let us take it for granted, God. And may we live our lives accordingly. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for